And I'm ready, so come on, baby. Hi, Kate. Hi, Samita. How are you? I'm great, especially since we're sitting in the same room for Yeah, once. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I am Samita Mukhopadhyay. I'm Kate Harding. And this is Feminasty. Yay! <laughs> this week's episode is focused on the idea of power. What makes a woman powerful? What makes anyone powerful? And how power can be wielded in positive and negative ways. This week's guest is Anna Holmes, the founding editor of Jezebel and the current SVP of Topic, um, which is an amazing video platform. But before we get to her, we wanted to talk a little bit about power because power and the idea of power and I think the abuse of power has really been in the news the last couple of weeks. And I know, listeners, you're used to us talking about disgusting men in positions of power. (laughs) But the thing that we don't talk about as much is how them having access to power is often why they're able to get away with the types of abuses that we've been reading about. And the flip side of that, that the way they abuse also leads to them being able to maintain power because it keeps women afraid and feeling small and, and powerless. Yeah, I think the role that power plays. I think I think the thing that's terrifying and especially as we look at as we look at like a Trump administration and unfettered access to power. You have someone who has always historically had access to power. He's wealthy, he was raised wealthy. He doesn't even, you know, he doesn't he takes it for granted, obviously. Yes. I, th- I think we know that. Um, and he thinks it's a joke. You know, he thinks that making fun of Elizabeth Warren is funny. He thinks that making fun of North Korea is funny. Mm. And to have and to be that blinded by your own power, I think about the other side of it, and I've just been thinking a lot about kind of what does a resistance look like, right? Like mm-hmm. how are we building a resistance? How, you know, how hard it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like how we fight amongst each other, because it's like we're fighting for what the narrative should be and what the priorities should be. And I've really been thinking about how that's another function of power in yes. that it literally spreads and it separates you. It divides you because it wants you blinded to the larger problem. It divides you and it wastes your time. Yeah. I mean, this is something that those of us who have been working in social justice for years, you know, all know this is sort of basic theory stuff, that part of the reason people constantly make these attacks on your identity is so that you are defending and proving yourself instead of just going out there and living your life and making the stuff you would make and succeeding. It's it's a massive time suck to constantly be defending your position, defending yeah. your very soul, essentially. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so clear that, you know, the Russian interference was not just on the right wing side, that it was very much about dividing the left as well. In terms of what we do to move forward from that, what do you think? You just talked about how we might build a more effective resistance. Well, one thing I, so I'm writing a piece about this, about kind of like specifically the women's movement and the women's resistance. And I interviewed Ai Jin Poo this week, who is the executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, which is incidentally also where Alicia Garza works as a full-time organizer on top of the seven million things she does, who's a nasty woman contributor. And she basically said that she thinks that a lot of these divisions are natural, Mm-hmm. And the, it actually that the type of progress and the type of movement we're trying to build is going to be messy and it's going to be inconsistent and there's going to be 
not necessarily infighting, but there's going to be conflict within. But that what she's seeing is that people are really asking the right questions. And, and I'm kind of feeling the same way, too, just in terms of there's a lot of people I disagree with. But the fact that people the word intersectionality keeps coming back and keeps coming back. I mean, Kimberly Crenshaw's entire theory of intersectionality is rooted in power. Right. Right. A lot of the ways that people talk about intersectionality, they say it's diversity. It's become a keyword for diversity. Right. Or like we want to be intersectional. So like, let's make sure that we add like all these people and all these voices to the mix. That's actually not what she meant, right? Intersectionality, the reason it came up is because she was a lawyer and she was looking at sexual harassment cases for black women in the workplace. And it was like, is this sexual harassment or is this racial discrimination? And that legally there was literally no space. Like black women were not visible. Yeah. In that case, there was no recourse for the women because they couldn't prove that it was sexual harassment or that it was racial discrimination. There was no space for it to be both which is horrifying when you think it's, you know, that somebody is getting actually twice the discrimination and because you can't divide that down to one or the other, Mm -hmm. they can't actually get any recourse for it. Right. And so that is like a substantial lack of access to power. Right. And yes. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what, what intersectionality really is the study of. It's, it's, it's about looking at based on who you are, whether you're legible within the legal system, right? The fact that anti-hate crime legislation doesn't include trans people, mm-hmm. you know, until recently, I think, um, and even then there's like some caveats to it, is literally disempowering an entire group of people because they do not have legal recourse for their basic kind of like humanity and like their basic rights. Right. And, and I mean, this goes back, I'm doing a, a lot of research right now about the sort of period around uh, the very early 60s. So basically feminine mystique time and one of the things there you know I was just actually reading Good Girls Revolt by Lynn Povich uh, which is about women who worked at Newsweek suing Newsweek for sexual discrimination in the 60s and one of the things that she points out there is that the, the, the women who were the white women who were working there all thought oh, the civil rights movement, that also applies to us. And then women suddenly realize, wait a minute, we aren't protected in that. And so then you see the feminist movement and the resurgence of a call for an ERA, which yeah. that's another thing that I want right now. When you tell me, yeah. what are you going to do moving forward? I want I want the ERA. Yeah, equal rights. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so I just spent the week in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did while I was there was I actually went to visit the Whitney Plantation, which is a... Confederate monument, basically, or I guess you could call it that, but it is a plantation that's been preserved, but it's actually curated from the perspective of the slaves that were enslaved there. And it was a really powerful experience. Um, I I really recommend, I think, anybody who goes to New Orleans should go just an hour outside the city. But the tour guide, one of the things that he talked about, which really brings home this idea of what you were talking about in the beginning of the psychological implications of power, of making people feel powerless... He was like, you know, you can't just can't just chain people up and tell them what to do and they're going to listen. Right. Mm-hmm. He said there was all these different other types of tactics that you implemented to keep people oppressed and to keep people complicit in this, you know, broader scheme of slavery. I mean, you can't just totally. enslave people for 200 years. And I think like, you know, on a much different scale, obviously. But but you do think about like that's such a, an example of the way that power was used to manipulate and control a group of people outside of just like they were physically controlled, they were physically enslaved. 
and they were abused, but on top of that, they were psychologically Absolutely. controlled to keep them in a state of fear. Yeah, pitting people against each other, dividing families, etc. Yeah, that psychological control is so much of what I think we're seeing too, and, and not to in any way do a one-to-one slavery to yep. anything else, nothing but slavery is slavery. Yeah, only just, slavery is slavery. <laughs> just in terms of talking about power and how it operates and how it becomes intertwined with abuse, Yep. We're sort of seeing that with the Brett Ratners and with the Harvey Weinsteins, et cetera, with the Kevin Spaceys who's come out this week, um, or that was a poor choice of words because of course that's a whole other issue of how he used his power to, to try and deflect from accusations of having abused a 14-year-old yeah. boy by saying, oh, by the way, I'm gay, let that be the headline. And one thing, and I know we've talked about this before, is like power is more than that one person having access to power, right? Yes. So like even if we see Weinstein come down, Spacey loses his contract with Netflix, you know, Ratner, whatever the implications end up being for him, the structure that allows them to flourish still exists, right? Yes. So I read a thing this morning in The Guardian, I think, by a man saying like it took a long time for the penny to drop for me even though I'm a lefty feminist academic and talking about uh, it was the Dominique Strauss-Kahn case Mm. Um, so DSK raped a hotel maid allegedly and the apparently right after that there was another instance of someone who was not that famous raping a hotel maid that was in the news and this guy who's writing the article was was like, well, what, I mean, it can't be a copycat because it happened too soon, but is there some epidemic of men raping maids? And then suddenly it was like, boing, I get it. Like, yes, there is an epidemic. And there is an epidemic of powerful men raping anyone they can fucking get away with raping. And he didn't realize, and he, he goes on to talk about how his own mother was an actress when she was young and when he would ask her later like mom why did you give up acting she was all like well you know I just didn't have the confidence to pursue it I had kids yada yada and then eventually one day he said something about the casting couch and she was like why do you think I gave up acting you dummy but yeah that that it is that widespread and I think that's something that's really hard for men and even people who aren't survivors to get their heads around or people who haven't been researching this for for years because it seems so bonkers. And yeah. of course, because we are, and I should acknowledge this, one doesn't want a moral panic. You don't want that, but I also don't think that's... You're seeing a lot of articles by men right now that are like, oh, we got to be careful. You don't want this to be, you know, the witch hunt. And it's like, no, but it's not a witch hunt at this point. Yeah. It's it's grown women telling their stories that they've yeah. told, and grown men in many cases. Um, Harry Dreyfus today was the latest to talk about Uh, Kevin Spacey groping him with his father, another Oscar-winning actor, I'm going to say he is, um, (laughs) sitting there in the room and Spacey still pulls this just to kind of prove that he can. So (laughs) on that note, well, that's a lot of the kind of deleterious effects of power. Yes. But we are, no, it's good. We're pivoting (laughs) to talking to Anna about some of the more positive aspects of power and what it looks like to be empowered as a woman and to have power and if that's real power. Anna Holmes is joining us. She is an award-winning writer, editor. She's worked on numerous publications, including the Washington Post, the New Yorker, the New York Times, where she's a regular contributor to the Sunday Book Review. 
In 2007, in response to her work for magazines like Glamour and Cosmopolitan, she created the very popular website Jezebel, um, which is how we all met, actually, <laughs> and which in many ways changed the face of, of media, of, of gender media on the internet. Um, and currently, she's at First Look Media as the SVP of editorial, where she's spearheading a really cool project called Topic.com that is kind of focused on dynamic storytelling, film, TV, and digital studio, uh, uh, with, with a digital studio. So I think you can understand why we invited Anna on to talk about power. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're a boss, Anna Holmes. Hi. 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 I'm very happy um, to be here. I, and I hope, yeah, like I don't, I've never talked about power, so my initial reaction to being asked to talk about power is one of like, oh, I don't know if I have anything to say, but I'm hoping that I can figure that out. I'm going to call bullshit on that a little bit because I feel like a lot of your career has been talking about power, even if it wasn't directly like somebody putting you on the spot and saying, Anna, talk to me about power. I think, you know, one of the things- You mean like you are right now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Even if it wasn't actually me being like, all right, tell me. I, I feel like so much of what you have done by, you know, from Jezebel on forward, where you have just kept getting involved in projects where your voice and your leadership are so important to the success of the project, that you wield a lot of power in the media. You wield power as a woman in ways that, like, I feel like, you know, just the freelance schlub over here when I look at what you've done with your life. And so I think, I just think it's so interesting that that's your immediate reaction, that you have not talked about power and can't articulate stuff about power. Yeah, or, or at least that I don't think I can. I mean, sure. I All right, don't, so, yeah, go, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go, what does it mean to you? Like, what does being powerful mean to you? It, you know, I, I have some things, I have ideas in my head, and then I ask myself, well, Maybe that's what freedom means to me, but so I'm going to try, I'm going to try and articulate what power means to me, but, but I also might then circle back and say, no, actually that's what freedom means. Cause I, I do mm-hmm. think that they are related. Uh, I, I think that power is often something that we think that the out, the external world puts, you know, like, like offers us as a gift as opposed yeah. to something that we can, um, that we can cultivate ourselves. Whereas, and I think that it's the same thing with freedom, but I do think that freedom is more commonly, we're often commonly thought of as being something that's more in the mind. Um, yeah. So what does it mean to be powerful? I guess what it means to be powerful is to, in for me specifically, and I'm not saying generally, this doesn't apply to anybody else but me. Um, what it means to be, to be powerful is to have the, courage of my convictions even when uh things are going very very badly or feel really 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 difficult to know that i'm not only going to survive a situation but that i might even thrive through and, and after it and that my essential self will remain as a constant in my life um no matter what life throws at me that that to me feels like power because if you know yourself well enough, and I'm not saying that I've achieved this, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, 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 you, if you have that ultimate comfort of knowing that you can always come back home to yourself, I, I do think it makes, it, it, it makes life easier to, to, to get through. That said, you know, I'm not sure that I, that I always 
or that I ever <laughs> have achieved that state, but it's certainly <laughs> something that that I that I that I that I aspire to. I mean, I don't think of power in terms of well, I think of power in terms of things like money or success or influence, yada yada yada. But I think that's because those are those have been put on us all or put or put on me. And um, you know, when I think about the idea of let's say being power hungry, uh, I, I have I have a hard time imagining being particularly power hungry myself only because that would be that would be I'd be taking like a detour or a different path that that I don't think is really innately me so if I have power whether it's in conventional ideas of power or unconventional ideas of power to me that feels just like a, a happenstance perhaps it's you know luck or chance and this is why I wouldn't often describe myself as someone who is powerful. I think I can be powerful in the ways that I communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I can be powerful in terms of the ideas that I have and 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 the, the ways I try to share them with others. But I don't know that in conventional ways that I consider myself to be powerful. You know, people say things like money is power. Um, well, a lot of things, I guess, are power. And yes, money does make things somewhat easier or a lot easier for a lot of people, but I don't know that I would say that it that it is an expression of power or that or that it's um that it's a requirement. And it's 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 an interesting thing to think about now because someone who I do think embodies the idea of power as being all kind of external, like what you can either get over on someone else or what you externally um, possess or can possess is the current president, uh, mm-hmm. but he mm-hmm. but he approaches power. With, I mean, his approach to power is a very is is a very adolescent and and ultimately empty one. Um, I think his approach is shared by a lot of other people in the country. I think that like you know that who who really believe that there are certain markers that you have to certain things you have to obtain or be in order to be considered powerful. But again, I think it's a very adolescent way of looking at the world and ultimately very empty. So for me personally, what it means to be powerful are the moments I feel powerful, maybe that's a better way to phrase it, or when I feel like I'm fully in my own skin and understand myself and love myself. Again, that is not a consistent state of being. <laughs> so, um, and I don't know. I don't think it is for anyone. I don't know if it is. Maybe, maybe it is. Um, but I do know that the people I, the people I know who seem to embody that or seem to be able to achieve that, whether it's for five seconds or five days or five years, tend to be a little bit older. Like the, the people that I admire in terms of like their, their concept of themselves and their comfort in their own skin and their kind of, I, I mean, what I would, describe as I don't give a fuckness um, <laughs> tend to be older and and so it, it, older than me and so that's actually one reason that I oftentimes look forward to getting older because I like to think that that's something that comes with age and experience definitely I think it's one of the most astonishing things about the current president is that he's in his 70s and still is such an adolescent or an infant about mm-hmm. the way that he regards power and his need for external validation mm-hmm. and it's like it's horrific, not only in what he's doing to the country and the world, but it's horrific to just think about being a person who gets that far in life and has that much experience under your belt and to still need this kind of petty, superficial, constant 
validation that you have mm-hmm. worth. Well, yeah, it, I, I mean, ultimately, I feel very sorry for people like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 but this, this, you know, this is also complicated because do I feel sorry for a president? Some days I do. <laughs> I mean, which is not to say that I feel sympathy. It, it, it's it's more that I feel sorry for him in a way that I, you know, that that would, you know, I would describe him as being sure. pathetic. Um, so, oh, so, so I, I feel sorry for him in that respect. But then I get upset that I that I even that I even waste that emotion on 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 someone who I think is so profoundly damaged and 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 slightly less than human. <laughs> so. well, uh, yeah, and and also someone who's been handed a certain amount of power without earning it. Right. I, I think there, you know, there is a difference between like you said you you kind of tick these boxes to get to a certain place in your life and that's some people associate that with power um you know it's without a doubt trump in and of itself he's power hungry whether he embodies a powerful spirit whether he's a himself a powerful person it's like he's now a powerful person because he's the president but he's not interpersonally a powerful person because he has demons that he hasn't reckoned with right and i think that there's a difference between just like being in a position of power and being greedy and power hungry and also you know i think where, you know, when I think of someone like you, Anna, or I think of, you know, other women that I've kind of looked up to, they embody a sense of powerfulness that doesn't necessarily come with, like, more money or more stature, but actually, you know, something that's a little bit more authentic and a little bit more from knowing who you are and and being comfortable in your skin and and kind of, you know, embodying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. So on that note, I mean, in thinking about like when you feel the most powerful, like can you think of a time where you felt really disempowered and how you dealt with it? I mean, I feel disempowered all the time. <laughs> Just, you know, whether it's like interpersonally <laughs> or professionally or, you know, what have you. I mean, if there's I'm trying to think if there's like one particular like a particular like acute anecdote that I can relate about feeling disempowered and how I how I dealt with it. I'm going to try and like think about this or talk about it a little more generally because I don't know that I have a good anecdote or rather I probably will like at one in the morning tonight when I'm trying to fall asleep. I'll be like, oh, my God, I should have, <laughs> I should have told them about this. You know, I, I, I often I often feel disempowered, but I think that that's a function of of me being human. I think it's a function of me being female. I think it's a function of me being uh, a person of color. I think it's a function of having grown up in this particular society as those things. You know, I, I, I think I think that I am always never far from being reminded, whether in subtle or very explicit ways, how kind of unfair and unmeritocratic the world is. And and so in some ways, if if in my career I've I've made attempts to agitate against or talk about power and the structures uh, you know, around us in the United States and the ways that power is reinforced, I don't. I don't really have. I don't really come to it from like an intellectual place. It's come. It usually comes out from a place of emotion rather than like mm. distance and like chin strokiness. Which is to say that like that <laughs> that um, power and the the lack of it among certain populations historically or in the present is something that that I just deem is being incredibly unfair and, 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 and my attempts to try and grapple with it or point it out again are 
in many ways fueled by that emotion and and the anger around that and the frustration around that than anything that's particularly academic or or intellectual or more removed. Right. And and that's something that we wanted to talk to you about, too, because we know that as an editor, for at least as long as we've both known you, you've always tried to really shine a light on those issues of systemic power and privilege and who has it and who doesn't. And, you know, especially when you were doing that deliberately in a women's magazine, like not just a feminist blog, like a real well-founded or well-funded rather women's magazine that you were putting out there with Jezebel and you said, I'm going to talk about power and privilege. I am going to talk about systemic racism and systemic abuses of power within this, as opposed to like a lot of women's magazines historically, typically are more into like the individual empowerment and you go girl. And if you just, you know, think positive, then you're going to ace your job interview and that's power. And you were like, no, let's talk about what power really is in this context where nobody really wants to talk about it. And it's just one of the things that we admire about you so much. But it's interesting to hear you say that you're coming at that from a place of emotion, because I both understand that and then think how hard that's got to be. Because of course, when you approach these things emotionally as a woman and as a black woman, if you are emotional, if you are as angry as you really feel, then you're going to yeah, get pushed back on I that. mean, I, I, I think it in, in some ways depends on how you phrase it, which is not to say that, you know, you can phrase something a certain way and no, no one will give you pushback. But I, I, I think part of talking about these issues is to acknowledge straight, straight up and straightforwardly, like the, the, how charged they are and the, and the anger that they, that they in, induce in us. And then once you kind of, I wouldn't say get it out of the way, but once you put it out there, then you know, perhaps it, it's, it's, you know, you, you're able to talk about things with a little more dispassion than otherwise. But I, but, th- but that's kind of the way that I try to approach. And again, not always successfully life in general, which is to like, you know, identify the emotion and talk about it. And then usually I can, go from there but anyway yeah i don't i just i i have a strange relationship or or or, or rather not particularly articulated ideas about power in the same way that i and i think maybe i avoid thinking about it um in the same way that i avoid thinking about money (laughs) sometimes like to my you know detriment which is to say that i i think about it all the time right um Mm -hmm. i'm always going to be constantly worried about it but i don't I don't think about it with enough dispassion or like plan around it in ways that where I feel like I have some, I have control over it. It's, it's, it's like an uncomfortable subject. I mean, money is an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. And I, I, I feel, I think the same way, or I think I approach power the same way, which is, is just that it's there and it's always in your face, like the issue, whether or not you have it, but it's not something that I've teased out or, or approached and really dug into. And I only know that, because you asked me a question about it. You know? <laughs> I, this is not something I would have said necessarily, you know, two weeks ago, if someone had said, well, what are the issues that you try to avoid? <laughs> Thinking about yeah. I, power yeah, and money. I would have said money, but I don't know that I would have, I would have said power. Yeah. And, and again, you know, for, for you to assert that I have power is not something I'm going to, I'm going to argue with you about because you're welcome to assert whatever you want. But I don't think that I necessarily think of myself that way. Or rather, I think if I have any power, it's always, I'm always on the verge of losing it, right? Or it's always on the verge of being taken yeah. away. 
and so that's so I, I have an uneasy relationship with the idea that I have power because if I think if, if, if I were to ever truly embrace the idea that I have power as it's conventionally thought of then I feel like the world the universe would you know do a 180 and you know you know I'll show you <laughs> so 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 it's <laughs> no. yeah you know what I mean um, I'm kind of superstitious about it I feel like sometimes what can be difficult for successful like whatever your definition of success is for successful women is the difference in how powerful you're perceived and how powerful you actually feel in your life like that gap can sometimes be really mind-numbing because it's like okay all, all these other people see me as this powerful person but I don't feel that powerful day to day when I like can't get out of bed on a Saturday yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, <that's> not- <laughs> I think and and I think it goes back to what Anna was saying at the beginning too about the connection between power and freedom because in in many ways like it's freedom to not have that constant worry or panic that the sh- other shoe is going to drop and you're going to lose all your power you're going to lose all your money you're going to lose everything you have that makes you comfortable and functional in this world um and and it does seem like certainly the more power and influence you accumulate the more money you accumulate those things grease the wheels in a lot of ways i keep thinking about you know my husband and i evacuated for hurricane irma we live in miami beach and we were able to leave days early we were able to go up to indianapolis and stay in a hotel room that his company paid for and i just kept thinking about the the amount of privilege we had that made it such an, a relatively easy experience for us. It was inconvenient, but there was never, it was never problematic beyond being inconvenient. Mm-hmm. It was a pain in the ass to get in the car and drive to Indy, but we didn't have to, you know, we weren't worried about, you know, even losing our apartment, which is mostly we've downsized to stuff we don't care about because I mean, that's a freedom in itself to not feel like we have to clutch on to everything we ever had. Um, and I just kept thinking about, you know, he has this really good professional job and, and he grew up with absolutely nothing and and didn't graduate from high school, sort of stumbled in a white male way into a fantastic white collar job with this company that immediately sends out an email that's like, oh, you know, we have X amount of just automatic employee assistance if you live in a hurricane evacuation zone and then beyond the few days that they automatically would pay for a hotel they said just come up here and work for a week and we'll put you up and blah blah and I was just thinking like just the amount of layers of cushioning we have against something like a natural disaster Um, I am thinking a lot about hurricanes both because we've had some incredible ones both because my heart is just in pieces over Puerto Rico right now um, but also because I suddenly live in a hurricane zone and it's just so much more visceral to me. And it's a reminder of how much power I have that I don't even think about as power mm-hmm. in my daily life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really do think that like, and this is not really in relation to being able to escape a coming hurricane or not, or ha- having those sorts of privileges. But I really do think that power is, is the ability to, to know oneself. And, and in that respect, or for me, in that respect, I think actually our current president is very powerless. I mm-hmm. yes, he may have, and I'm not discounting these things. He may have the ability to like <laughs> affect the negatively, fatally affect the lives of millions of people, both in this country and elsewhere. Um, but I don't think he has that ultimate power, which is that he knows himself. And maybe yeah. that's why I, I wouldn't Absolutely. describe him as a powerful person. I mean, it's funny because we think of the, the United, you know, president of the United States as being the most powerful person in the world. <laughs> and 
you know, and, and when we accept that, you know, without, without, without questioning, but I, I think with this administration or rather with this past election, I would not describe the current president as being the most powerful person in the world in the ways that matter to me or ultimately matter, which is, yeah. you know, maybe that's, I think that can be taken, you know, a couple of ways. Like that also might sound insensitive because he does have a lot of power over the other, over other people, <laughs> but I don't think he has power within himself maybe yeah so well then maybe that the question there is what's the difference between power and control like he has control over a lot of things that affect people's lives does he have power Mm -hmm. is a different question Mm -hmm. maybe or a control over himself (laughs) (laughs) yeah that too yeah apparently not i don't think he has that either but um Yeah. yeah i think it's a great distinction i think yeah he has a lot of control um over over things and and the law and and people and i think he has a lot of privilege but i don't know that he has a lot of power yeah as i as i define power <laughs> right so. it's such an interesting point though that that thought of you know does the president actually have power within himself because he is such an empty shell of a person and you just think you know there's no way he could just like sit there by himself in his underwear and feel good about who he is You'd be surprised. And, I feel like people's self-deception. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like people's self, self-deception self goes really deep, you know? Yeah, that, okay, fair. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I feel like he's, he does might maybe, my, ugh. God, why'd you do that to us, Kate? <laughs> why sorry, did you paint that picture? He yeah. is fully clothed. That was really in fact wearing a snowsuit. In this I'm sorry, this, I just empowered you. And... <laughs> I ruined it. The power of <laughs> visualization. Yeah. I guess I see him more like powering down like a robot when you take other people away from him. Like he's so focused on the external validation that I just, I can't imagine that there's any inner life if you get him by himself. No, I doubt it. No. Yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, I also think it's like, it's masked by his, um, you know, I mean, that's why he reacts the way he does publicly, right? I, I think when you're narcissistic like that, you don't even have that reflection to sit there and be like, I don't like myself. Like, he right. probably actually says affirmations to himself in the <laughs> yeah. mirror. Like, he probably does. <laughs> People who do that should be avoided. Yes. Yes. We are anti affirmation yeah. on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you should put that on your Tinder profile. Yeah. <laughs> like if you look at yourself in the mirror and give yourself affirmations. Yeah, you can yeah. you can usually tell when somebody probably does that because their bio says something like work hard, play hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or they or they work for a large financial institution in yes, downtown. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> If anything happens to my marriage, I'm joining a convent. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we could talk to you about that. We could talk to you about that. All right. Maybe the three of us can found one. How about not a convent? Why don't we just like, why don't we like open one of those, one of those places like in top of the lake? Yes. (laughs) Have a little commune. You know, in a in in a in a in a beautiful place, and I don't know, right. raise hell. That is the plan. We are top of the yeah. lake in it, guys. <laughs> I am here for it. I am here for it. Like I don't like men anymore. So like, and not in a like, hey guys, I'm yes. almost forty and I'm coming out. It's more of like a. <laughs> After like after Hugh oh. Hefner, and I was like, oh okay, like he's okay, right. Hillary monster, monster, but Hugh Hefner <laughs> civil rights hero, okay. Fuck that guy. Yeah, um, top of the lake is looking better all the time. 
The first season. Yes. Not the yes, yes correct. Season. The Holly Hunter. Yeah. Shipping yeah. containers, whatever. <laughs> All right. Any other musings, Anna, for that you want to share with us? list of questions you were supposed to ask me and like you didn't ask me them all so i was oh, waiting yeah, there to is ask. one more kate that's well you. there is one more that we ask everyone and that is what makes you a nasty woman what makes me a nasty woman well first of all this is what i would ask you back what does the word nasty mean to you in this context well shit <laughs> damn it damn it Damn it! We didn't plan for that. <laughs> Kidding. You were supposed to prepare to answer questions, Anna. Yeah, I will um, answer it as long as I understand what you. Well, you and I think, answer. I think part of the fun and part of the reason we ask this question is because people define it in so many different ways, and since it's become this kind of rallying cry after Trump called Hillary a nasty woman, um, <laughs> <laughs> that you know, just thinking of how loaded that was and how much it resonated with women being a nasty woman is just sort of a a fuck you to all of those expectations that we, you know, that we always are kind and sweet and will never point out a man's flaws as she did to, uh, to inspire Mm -hmm. that comment, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So just, well, I think, yeah, I think in that, in that respect, what makes me a nasty woman is that I have opinions, Mm -hmm. number one, and then that I express them. Not all the time. And, you know, there are times when I feel like, the idea of expressing one's opinion can be a little overwhelming or that it happens too often, <laughs> I would yes. then, you know, refer your, refer you to Twitter, which is, <laughs> which is yep. full of all sorts of opinions, but not very many points of view. And yeah, so I think that what makes me an nasty woman is that I have opinions and that, and that, and that I'm not afraid to share them when I think that they're worth sharing. Hell yes. So, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, people can be, can be taken aback by that mm-hmm. perhaps because i don't know because i'm a woman uh, i mean i i have no idea why anyone would blanch at the idea that i express opinions at this point in my life <laughs> but <laughs> but i do have them and it would be impossible impossible for me not to share them when i when i think that they are worth communicating and when they when, when they are influencing how i see the world and the ways in which i think the world is you know to go back to that word unfair um or agitating or you know fucking ridiculous i mean it's it's but you know that said i'm actually thinking about the past 10 months and i haven't said a lot publicly or even privately about the election of donald trump to the presidency because i at first was so stunned and brokenhearted and devastated that I didn't know what there was to say. I think if there's actually a time that I felt disempowered, it's been since he got elected because it upended a lot of my ideas about the way the world is and who the people around me in the United States really are. And it's not that I thought that the United States was by any means, um, I I didn't have rose colored glasses about uh, the United States, its history, its present, its future, um, you know who who and what uh, makes up the U.S. But I think that I got you know I've 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 been in a profound state of feeling disempowered only because my concept of the world that I lived in was revealed to me to actually to actually be so much worse. And that sounds totally pessimistic, but that's the way that I feel right now about yeah. about things. Honestly, I mean I, I'm not going to pretend that um, that I feel optimistic. I just don't. So. No, 
Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question about math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. Was that, help- was that helpful? Yeah, that was a really, really good interview. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was terrific. Thank you so much, Anna Holmes. Hi, it's Kate. I want to tell you about a new segment we'll be including as we go forward. Over the last few weeks, Samita and I have visited a dozen cities to talk about feminism, resistance, and revolution in Trump's America. One question we always get from the audience is, how are we supposed to maintain hope when everything seems so incredibly bleak? Well, our Nasty Women Anthology contributor Rebecca Solnit once tackled that question in a book called Hope in the Dark, and we're stealing that title for our new segment, where we'll look for silver linings and bright sides and thoughts about what you can do right now to make the world a little better. Before we launch Hope in the Dark, we want to hear your thoughts and ideas. Send a voice memo to feminasty at macmillan.com. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N dot com, telling us where and when and with whom and how you're finding hope these days. Or you can always just answer the question that we ask everyone, what makes you a nasty woman? Either way, we want to hear your voices and include them in the show, so please send those voice memos to feminasty at macmillan.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week, and stay nasty.